The scripture reading today is Psalm 22, 1 through 10, followed by Psalm 23. Psalm 22, 1 through 10. For the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am worn and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down by in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all my days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you, because you are our rock and our redeemer. Speak, Lord, we are your servants, your beloved children, and we are listening. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Amen. Um, do we have any country music fans in the room? Oh, just a couple. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad to see there's at least a couple. <laughs> well, some of you may remember a country song called Unanswered Prayers. It was by Garth Brooks back in the like 1980s, 1990s, I think. Does that make it a classic yet? I don't know. Anyway, like all the best country songs, it tells a story. A man and his wife run into his high school sweetheart at a hometown football game. And the man starts to reminisce about how he used to pray every single night that if God would let him marry that girl, he would not ask for anything else ever again. But then he looks at his wife beside him and he realizes, hmm, maybe God really did know what he was doing after all when he didn't answer that prayer. The chorus says, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer, 
doesn't mean he don't care. Because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. Aw. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I mean, it's also encouraging in the sense that, you know, God does indeed know far better for us than to grant the entirety of our teenage wish lists. And it's true in the sense that an unanswered prayer does not mean that God does not care about us. But what about those unanswered prayers that are about far more than just our high school crush? What about those prayers, those deep needs that we lay before God that seem to be met with silence? What about those prayers, those heart-rending questions we ask that just seem to go unheard? What about when we pray for physical healing for ourselves or a loved one? What about when we pray that someone we love might experience a personal relationship with Jesus as Savior? What about when we pray on repeat for the mending of a broken relationship for a child, for a partner, for a calling. And yet, after we've prayed, there is still no relief from the chronic pain or no cure from the cancer. The ring finger or the nursery remain empty. Conflict and hurt continue. The lost soul continues to wander far. Those moments, those are painful and confusing and can be deeply unsettling in our relationship with God. They inevitably bring up this question, God, why? Why are you silent? Why haven't you changed things? And why is uncomfortable and scary because we cannot ask why without also wrestling with the questions of God's character. God, if you are silent, what does that say about who you are and how you feel about me? God, are you really good? God, can I really trust you with the things that matter most to me? And no Garth Brooks song can meet us there. But Psalm 22, which Jeff read for us earlier, can. We're in a series in our sermons on the book of Psalms called The Playlist for the Journey, because the Psalms are the songbook of God's people. And there is a psalm for literally every aspect of our human experience. The mountaintops of joy and triumph and contentment, the valleys of fear, weariness, and scarcity, and the roads in between of seeking wisdom and deeper connection with God. And so it is with deep, deep courage and stark vulnerability that King David, the author of Psalm 22, begins with the question that many of us hesitate to ask. God, why? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God, why haven't you saved me? God, why haven't you listened to my cries? This first section of Psalm 22, it's a psalm of individual lament. 
And lament is an expression of grief or sorrow. Some psalms are communal lament, so grief expressed by the community for its own suffering or for its contribution to the suffering of others. This psalm is the lament of one person, of their experience of individual suffering. But lament is not, you know, the nice one quiet tear slipping out. Lament is an unbecoming ugly cry. It's this uncontrolled wailing from the deepest parts of our being. It's uncomfortable to watch and it's uncomfortable to feel. But we live in a culture that kind of bounces between being a stranger to, being at war with, and being captive to our emotions. So it's really, really important for us to recognize and learn from the honest and healthy expressions of emotion modeled for us in scripture, like this one. The suffering in this psalm it's not intellectualized. It is physical. It is deeply embodied. And if those first words of Psalm 22 by David are like ringing a bell somewhere in your brain, good. Because they are the last words that Jesus spoke while on the cross. Psalm 22 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. And we find loads of references to Jesus' suffering at the cross. To name just a few, verses six through eight. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. Or verses 14 to 18. My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They divide my garments among themselves. They throw dice for my clothing. We hear echoes of the insults hurled at Jesus by the crowd as he hung on the cross. Echoes of Jesus calling out for water, the nails used on his hands and feet, and the lots that the Roman soldiers cast for his clothing. Now, so far, we have mentioned Psalm 22, but we actually cannot do so without also talking about Psalm 23, which Moses read for us earlier. Psalm 23, it's well known to many of us. It paints this beautiful and reassuring word picture of us as sheep and God as shepherd. Good shepherd being a name that belongs to Jesus throughout our Bibles. Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 are actually meant to be read together. And together, they're called the shepherd psalms. Psalm 22 poses the question. Psalm 23 responds, and together, they teach us something profound about suffering and about our relationship with Jesus. So David responds to that why God question with his head first. 
Yet, he preaches to himself, I know all the stories of your faithfulness to our ancestors. They trusted you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you, and you saved them. David looks for reassurance from the faith he has been taught. The stories of God's people that he knows backwards and forwards. But there's a tension. There's a disconnect in this moment for David between God's dealings with Israel and his personal experience with God. God has delivered his people, but he hasn't delivered me. Now, we know how powerful testimony can be. We know that the stories of others are super formative to our faith. The scripture invites us over and over again to tell and remember the stories of God's faithfulness to God's people throughout history. We're meant to be encouraged by each other and by the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before. Their stories are meant to inspire us to closer walks with Jesus, to acts of love, mercy, and justice like our Savior, and to persevere in suffering. Yet, we also see in this moment for David, his dark night of the soul, that the communal stories that he knows inspire not hope, but a sense of being utterly alone. But I am a worm and not a man. Everyone who sees me mocks me, saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? The psalmist feels less than human, unheard, unseen, and unknown by God and by others. The ultimate alone. Now, as a community of sisters and brothers in Christ, this says a great deal about how we are to be with those in the midst of suffering. Proverbs 25.20 says, Singing songs to a heavy heart is like taking away someone's coat on a cold day. While our songs of praise and our stories of God's faithfulness are vital to the fabric of our faith, to share them with the person in the midst of deep desolation will make them feel even more alone. Helping people understand God's goodness in the midst of pain begins by mourning with them. As Romans 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I remember in the midst of two of my most painful moments, the loss of a young family member, the loss of a job and a community that I loved, intellectually, I knew that God could and would work good from such painful circumstances. Intellectually, I knew that God is close to those who are brokenhearted. I believed it when I said these things to other people and when others said them to me, but in that moment, what my head knew was no match for what my heart was experiencing. But then... There were people in my life who said very little, but who made physical space for my pain. 
They lifted my burden by being sad or angry with me. They were comfortable with the fact that there are steps on the healing journey, and they didn't rush me through them from grief to praise. And it was through these people that I experienced tangibly and powerfully the presence of Jesus beside me. Through them, I experienced the way in which God is present with us in suffering. Maybe others have done that for you. Maybe you've experienced the opposite. But is this feeling of being alone, alienated, and cut off that Jesus, our Savior, experiences on the cross? When Jesus cries out, my God, why have you abandoned me? It says that the sky went dark, an actual, terrible, physical manifestation of that alienation. And Psalm 23 answers with its own image. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the very valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. Now in the ancient world, each year the change in seasons would cause the shepherds to bring their sheep through the valleys to the high country. It was a dangerous journey. The high walls of the valleys would eclipse the sun. It was narrow and there were lots of great hiding places for predators but it was a necessary journey. And so the shepherd was there, present, barely an arm's distance away to comfort, to guide, and protect the sheep. And when we walk through darkness, when we feel that God has forgotten us, these psalms remind us that our good shepherd, Jesus, knows what that darkness feels like. These psalms together remind us that even when it seems no one else understands what we are experiencing, Jesus does. We are never actually alone. And there's actually another yet in Psalm 22. Yet, David remembers, I have experienced and known you personally in my own life. Since my birth, you have been with me, and you have shown yourself to be trustworthy. As David processes his pain, he begins to move from his head to his heart, from his intellect to his experience. He looks back and he traces this thread of God's faithfulness through his life, especially at his most helpless and vulnerable his birth. But even still, at this moment, his experience is not one of intimacy and safety. He's still wrestling because the psalmist is surrounded by dangers and pursued by enemies. Fierce bulls, those people with unstoppable power. Lions, those who are able to inflict life-ending damage wild dogs, those who are sniffing around looking for weakness. And David feels this suffering 
deep within his physical being, poured out like water, bones out of joint, heart like wax, strength dried up, left for dead. The word that kept coming to me all week is heart sick. When our internal emotions like grief, pain, or fear, it saps our physical strength. It interferes with our body's well-being in unexpected ways. In Matthew, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further, bowed with his face to the ground, praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. This moment... It follows Jesus' last supper with his disciples. The meal at which Jesus shares that Peter, one of his closest friends, will deny him before the night is over. The meal from which Judas gets up and leaves to betray Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders and the Romans. This moment, it's the height of betrayal and persecution for Jesus. And yet, he knows there is more to come. Jesus prays and he longs for relief from the anguish that threatens to overwhelm and destroy his very being. His emotional pain cannot be contained and it finds physical outlet through his body. Even before the cross, Jesus, our good shepherd, knows what it feels like to be heartsick, just like the psalmist in 22. But Psalm 23 answers the physical anguish and persecution with a new picture. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside quiet streams. He restores my soul. Now I know a lot of times when I hear Psalm 23, The mental image I have is uh, something like the rolling green hills of Ireland. Uh, When the reality is that green meadows, pretty far uh, between uh, in the Near East. Yet, the shepherd searches out and actually creates through great effort places of rest, of safety, and abundant sustenance in the midst of dry, dire circumstances. So much so that the Hebrew word for soul used here is found throughout scripture to mean at different times, heart, mind, body, and life. He restores my entire being, my whole, even heartsick self. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup 
overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Even though the psalmist is pursued by people and circumstances who seek his destruction, he is also pursued by the goodness and love of the Lord. He finds security not from his own strength or vindication, but rather from a place of rest and of trust. It's been suggested there are actually three pictures of God in Psalm 23. Sheep and shepherd, obviously. Traveler and companion. And guest and host. Now each of those three images would have been really familiar context. But for us, what's important to know is that each one is a uniquely personal relationship. When walking with a teenager who's considering baptism or confirmation, one question I always like to ask is, how would you describe who God is to you right now? I'll usually suggest words to get them started, like a stranger, an acquaintance, friend, a family member? I wonder how you might answer that question. Who has God been to you? Because when faced with a season of uncertainty, pain, or loss, retracing that thread of God's faithfulness to you in the past may not provide answers for your current reality, but it can Restore your trust in God's personal love for you. Now, there is a second section to Psalm 22. It starts in verse 22, and I invite you to read it this week. But be forewarned, frankly, it might feel a little bit like whiplash. Because the psalm makes this instantaneous shift from a psalm of lament to a psalm of praise for the gathered people of God. The difference, my friends, between poetry and life. David ends by declaring that one day he will once again be able to share a story of God's great faithfulness to him with his brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is a hope that our heads know through the testimony of others, through the truth of Scripture, and through our own life experiences of God's faithfulness. And yet, there will still be moments when what our heads know is no match for what our hearts experience. When we feel alone and heartsick, unheard by others and maybe even by God. And so, in the meantime, Psalm 22 invites us to lament. When we don't have the words, it makes space for and cries out our questions. It points us to a Savior who knows the depth of the experience of our suffering, because he experienced it too. And then Psalm 23 invites us to trust. Psalm 23 responds to the questions inherent in our pain with the promise of the embodied presence 
of our good shepherd, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, there is no one like you. What a gift it is to be known and loved by a God who has experienced with and for us the depth of our pain. Jesus, that you chose this tells us everything we need to know about who you are and how you feel about us. But Jesus, this morning, we pray that you will draw near to those who are brokenhearted. May they experience tangibly beside them your arm around their shoulders, gently comforting and guiding them and powerfully protecting them. No matter the circumstances that come our way this week, may we be able to carry ourselves with the peace of Psalm 23. In the name of Jesus, we pray.